Blessings to you, my friend. This is Pastor McGee with Empowerment Ministries Christian Center, and you're listening to Empower the City Podcast. I pray today that your hearts are blessed, minds renewed, and you are infused with the passion to serve God like never before. Blessings to you, and enjoy the message. Book of Mark, chapter number 8, verses number 34. Jesus is issuing a challenge here. The Bible declares, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's good, man. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 38 is where we're going to hang our hat. If anyone is ashamed of me. Now, this is cold here, man. If anyone is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to share the word of God with the people of God. Uh, currently now hiding myself behind the cross that men may not see, on, give honor glory to Greg, but this hour, my God and my King, all honor, all glory goes to you. I thank you, and I love you now, and it is in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody says, so we're in the middle of this series simply entitled The Unashamed Lifestyle, and if I, if I could just be honest and just confess, um, this series is probably, in my opinion, the most content-rich and impactful message um, that I have received from God to give to the people all year. This, this content that God has given me. On the flip side, this has been probably the most challenging delivery of the content. So best content, not my best delivery of what it is that God has given me because for the past two weeks I've walked away just kind of sighing like I did not feel as though I fully conveyed all that God placed in my spirit. So I'm, I got two more weeks, this week and next week, and I just want to try to do a, just a little bit better job with this delivery. And y'all can help me by every once in a while just saying amen to encourage me. Can somebody say amen? amen. I'll preach fast if you say amen. amen. <laughs> Did Sister Eva say amen? Oh, my goodness. So, so watch this. Uh, we, we begin in week number one, um, defining the difference between objective and subjective shame. And I just want to kind of highlight and kind of give some proof text to these two different um, juxt, uh, uh, different uh, positions, objective shame and subjective shame. We said that objective shame, uh, three things, feelings of guilt or regret normally experienced after violating a standard. So this is a good type of shame. We said that it encourages behaviors that support the values of the group and then ultimately determines trust or trustworthiness. So whenever there's objective shame, uh, there's basically two sides of the coin. There's how the individual feels, which is a guilt. They feel guilty. And guilt is good because there can be no repentance without guilt. Because guilt says what I did was wrong. And how can you turn from something if you don't feel that it's wrong? 
So objective shame says that this was wrong, you should feel guilty. But the other side of, of objective shame is not how the person feels, it's what the community decides to do with that individual. Because at, at this level, at, at this level of position for you to fall or to be involved in something like that, then we can't trust you at this particular level, so we must have to demote you. And I want to give you a biblical text of someone that was, <laughs> they were more than demoted. First um, Corinthians 5 and 1, the Bible declares, I can, this is Paul, he, he's, he's checking them real good. He says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Yeah, so, so two, two things. So he's actually, so he didn't just sleep with his daddy wife, with his dad's wife. He like moved in and they got this intimate romantic thing going on with his, his dad's wife. Paul says, I can't believe that y'all are tolerating this. Verse 2 says, you are so proud of yourself, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. There it is, objective shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. 4 says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit and soul will the power of Je the Lord Jesus. 5 says, then you must throw this man out and hand him over. That's a loaded, loaded statement. Verse number five, hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. Loaded state, statement. I'm not going to unpack that in this setting here. But, but in essence, this is what's going on. Um, this guy is, he didn't just fall with his daddy's wife. He didn't, he didn't fall. Um, he is actually living in this fornication, adulterous relationship with his, his, his stepmother. And um, Paul says what you need to do is literally put him out the church. Now, this is such a controversial, not this text is not controversy, but when you actually go about doing that to somebody, putting them out, because th there's, there's always sways of opinions of what's right and what's wrong, and it's, and it's a very, very challenging thing to do. Um, here in this ministry, I've, on, I've only had to do this twice where I had to say to a brother, you got to go today yeah and when I did it people was like oh pastor Devin, you're just such a and, and so it's, it's it's very 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 difficult um to do and, and I'm, I'm just gonna paint the, the scenario and, and it was something like this and of course this was years ago uh, this person is long gone now and um at this particular church for those of you guys who have gone through growth track um our vision is we want people to know God find freedom discover purpose to the end that they make a difference so the implementation of that vision, the first part of that vision, knowing God, is that we want to create an atmosphere in this church where it's inviting to everybody. So when it comes to the church, now, now understand, that's not, that's not many people's church model, and it's okay. Because there's some people that church is a select group of saints coming together, which is okay as long as you have some type of strong evangelism arm outside of the church, in my opinion. For us, we use church service as an evangelism arm. So there's any and everything is subject to walk through that door. And I'm telling you, there has been some, what, what I'm talking about, it, it, there, there have been people that confess some things to me that I'll take to my grave. And, and it was only this one time I was able to just hold, I, I wasn't able to hold a straight face. All my professionalism went out the door. Right here, sister was sitting, right here. <laughs> After service, and she said, Pastor, I got to confess something. I was like, yes, ma'am. I had that love. Yeah. She said, Pastor, I killed him. I killed him. He gone. I was like, no, don't tell me that. 
<laughs> now, the good news was this was happened like 15, 20 years ago. She had already served some time, praise the Lord, and it was just guilt on her. I was like, don't tell me, don't. So he at the house right now just, <laughs> just laying there. So praise the Lord for that. So, so in this house, we, we literally open up the doors for anything where our defining standard is, is not people coming to church, it's people serving in the church. Because if you're going to serve Jesus, you ought to be living for Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So I had this uh, one situation. Again, this was years, years ago. And um, this, this brother, he came. He was in a leadership position. And um, he fell in the bed with one of the sisters and in the church. So I, I came to him, and, you know, we talked. And I met with her and, um, you know, restored him. And everything was everything. And to two months, two months later, um, he fell in the bed with another sister. And so came to him and we talked and evidently he has a problem so I asked him man let's for this season let's just kind of sit down you in leadership position whatever let's swallow your pride let's just sit down because you don't need to be ministering to people you actually need to be ministered to so um a couple of months later it was on girl number five in the same house so I realized that uh, this brother, he has an issue. So this is what I'm, I'm going to do because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the best pastor that I possibly can. This brother has an issue. So this is what I did. I set up personal counseling time with him one-on-one that me and you, we meet every week because you, you got a lust problem. You, you, it ain't just she fine and you just fail. No, 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 no. You're actually going in that inbox, cultivating relationships, and primarily praying on new sisters that come into the church that don't know his reputation, who he is. You building relationships, and you sleeping with these girls. So girl number five, I do two things. I set up personal counseling one-on-one with him. And then the second thing that I did, because sometimes when you have issues in your life, uh, sometimes you need to pray more, sometimes you need to study, sometimes you need to read, but then there's sometimes where you need an accountability circle around you. So, so I helped him to establish an accountability circle around him to, to, to help him with, his, with this particular issue. So a couple of months later, about a, another year and a half, um, but before then, I checked on him, and he's no longer meeting with me. He's no longer going to his accountability, accountability circle. And it's like this. If you, got, if you got pain and the doctor prescribes you medicine and you stop taking the medicine, what do you still have? pain so she said a problem absolutely so so this dude really has an issue he has an issue sexually because he keeps falling now I can I can almost see the same girl and, and you know maybe I can see that and I, I would deal with that as well but five different ladies year and a half later year and a half later um he has slept with 10 sisters in the church now, now understand help me with the math on that we average about about 200 just depends on you know if it's raining or not, or I believe some of you jokers call each other, say, girl, where you going, first and third? I'm going to go second and fourth. I, I really do believe some of y'all actually do that, because we got way more than 200 members. It's only about 200 actually just show up. So, so help me with that. 200 people, average comes 10. That's, is that 5%? He has slept with 5% of the church population. And it was tripping because I was laying there, and I was thinking about him. I was praying and all that kind of stuff. And so I just started counting the sisters. Bam. <laughs> I know. Jesus. And when I, count, when I got to 10, I said, he got to go. He don't have to go because he has a problem. He got to go because not only do you have a problem, I don't see you actively doing nothing about your problem. So before we make it number 11, 
Go to Reverend Farrell Church around the corner. Get your number 11 right there because you won't get number 11 up in here. Can somebody say amen? No, 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 watch this, watch this, watch this. Because, you know, he, you know, when the saints came to him, he like, man, pastor told me I can't come back. <laughs> so I got half of the congregation, watch this, because I can't tell everybody what happened. At least I can't point to him and say, this, you, do you know what he did? No, they, they half the congregation just looking at me sad because they're like, oh, pastor, he just some, no, 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 it's a, it's a long story behind that. <laughs> so, so this is what Paul did, because watch this, a little leaven leavens the entire lump. And, and this, this brother is open. It's one thing to fall. I can understand that. But when you have someone, especially in leadership position, that has taken a stand that I am going to live in sin, it's time for you to do something with that individual. Maybe dem demote them you, because it's, it's almost like, okay, Minister Jeff, Minister Jeff, he's a phenomenal preacher. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. Absolutely. Phenomenal preacher. So he gets to preach um, a lot of times when I'm out or sometimes I just don't feel like it and I'll just call him and he'll, you know, he'll work it out. So as he is ministering, people are now looking to him as an example of what we represent. So if he decided to move Sister Girl in with him and Wendy, and, and you know, they just have, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Sarah did it. I'm just saying. I don't know. <laughs> You're currently not representing what we are all about. So two things, one thing need to happen, and it's demonstrated in two different ways. There is an, ob somebody shout objective. There is an objective shame that happens. The, from, from our perspective is that in leadership, it's time for you to be demoted because objective shame is about trust or trustworthiness. We no longer can trust an individual at that level, so it's time for you to come down so your influence don't contaminate everybody else. Because if Jeff can do it, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, the devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 that's objective shame. The other side of shame that he should feel, feel is a guilt or a conviction about his sin. So, that's what happens to this brother. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and says, this is what's going on. Don't allow that in the church. This man has to go. Paul writes back in 2 Corinthians because the brother experiences an objective type of shame. He feels the guilt. He repents. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and says, restore him. So we'll pick up at verse number 6, chapter 2, verses 6. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Objective shame, it is healthy. It is good. But the other side of shame is subjective shame which is demonstrated when embracing a negative self-image based on past failures or the humiliating mistreatment of others for not meeting a standard. So they're just like there are two sides of object objective shame, there is two sides of subjective shame. It's on one side, the person not just feeling bad about what they did, they actually internalize it and they feel bad about themselves. Not just what I did was bad, I am bad. The other side are the individuals that are inflicting the subjective shame, trying to make 
you fit. It, it's not about you repenting. It's not about you um, turning. It's about me demeaning you, humiliating you, making you feel bad. Not about just what you did, but who you, you just didn't do something bad. You are a bad person. Let me show you a scripture text. John chapter number eight, verses number three. The Bible declares, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of, watch this, the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So this woman possibly is, is kneeled down. She is, she is thrown probably naked in front of the people because they caught her in the act. So they didn't have to, she probably didn't have time to put her clothes on or whatever. They dragged her out of the bed and threw her down. Scripture says, verse number four, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So they're not worried about her repenting. They're trying to kill her because they're saying not only what you did was bad, you are bad because of the act of adultery. Six says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one hmm, who has never sinned. <laughs> the sixes was really crazy. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against it. But he, Jesus, somebody shout, he stooped down. He stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, I don't know, I don't know what he wrote. Um, theologians over the years have tried to guess what he wrote. This is what I think he wrote. I think he was writing the name of their mis mistresses. So he was like, Shakika. Tatawana. <laughs> so watch this. Verse 9 says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. One, oh, Tatana. <laughs> Beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now look what Jesus says. When Jesus stood up again, he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them, somebody shout, condemn. That is what subjective shame is all about. The word condemn, whenever they stamp condemn on the building, they're saying that this building is no longer good for its intended purposes. It is condemned. Jesus says, where are the people that said, not only your sin are no good, you ain't no good. Where they at? 11 says, then Jesus stood up again and said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She says, no, Lord. And Jesus says, watch this, neither do I. Neither do I. Now understand what's going on here. He's saying, your sin was wrong, but I still love you. <laughs> this is what grace and truth is really all about. Truth says what you did is wrong, but grace says I still love you for you. Come on, somebody. Now, now you, can, you can take that to two extremes, and in the church we often do where we only talk about grace and we minimize truth. And we say Jesus loves everybody, but he don't want you to change nothing. You just come out like you are and stay like you are. The devil is a lie. And then on the other side, we send everybody to hell. You're going to hell. Oh, you're doing that? You're going to hell. You're doing that? You're going to hell. And we tell them nothing about the love of God. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of both grace and truth. He says, I don't condemn you. You are still valuable to me. Stop sinning. Amen. So this is a picture of subjective shame. So I'm, I want to I paint this picture. I want to paint this picture. Um, just give me a second, and then we'll, we'll get out of the way. Short message today. I only got, what, 45 more minutes. 
B-Lav, come here for a second. So uh, me and B-Lav, uh, we went to high school together, man. Uh, B-Lav was a uh, running back. I was the QB. What, what school, what high school we go to? We actually went to Harrison Central High School, a better school. <laughs> HCHS, any rebels in the house? Yeah. Okay, no. Okay, college. What, what college? So we went to USM. I was the QB. Golden Eagles in the house. <laughs> to the top, baby. So, so uh, me and Lav, I've been knowing him forever. We, we grew up in the same neighborhood, went to the same. We went to rival high schools, but we landed up at the better university, and we played football there. So now that we're grown, we back, actually have a business together. What, do we, what, what type of business do we have? He like, you gonna change it anyway, whatever. Bit. Come on, give me a business, man. What we do? What we do? We make coats. We make coats. <laughs> I like it. And hoodies. <laughs> so we make coats and we make hoodies. So um, we've been collaborating and we're considering bringing on another business partner. And um, the guy, he, he dresses sharp, um, really good guy. Um, so what happens is me and Chad. Huh? <laughs> Come on, Jeff. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this example, Jeff. You might fit it. You might fit it. Come on over here. I ain't want to call you, Jeff, but you come sit over here, Jeff. Stand up. I may get in trouble. You know I love you, right? <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I, ain't I, ain't, I was going to call Chad. I was going to call you. So what happens is um, we've already eaten lunch. Um, it's, it's about 3, 4 o'clock. I just want a snack. So we sit down, and I invite these guys to Moe's. And um, Jeff hadn't shown up yet. Just me and Lav have shown up. And so I order some queso dip. And so we sit down and we're having a conversation while we're eating dip. Now, there is an unspoken rule between us that we don't even have to talk about because we both know what that rule is. And that rule is no... For those of you guys who don't understand what double dipping is, when you take a chip and you put some cheese on it, <laughs> you eat, I don't, <laughs> I don't care if it's not enough cheese on there. You done. Okay? So we sit down and we enjoying ourselves. Watch this. One chip and one dip at a time. Hey, there's Jeff. Hey, Jeff, come on, come on. How you doing, man? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Have some dip, man. So here's the problem. Jeff is a double dipper. <laughs> hey, 
<laughs> so in, in this example, Jeff is a double dipper. So so now watch watch this, watch this. So me, we we just having a come on, come on, come on, come on. We having a great time, one chip at a time, one chip at a time. And I notice out of the corner of my eye, bruh man bit off the chip and he went back. Now watch this. I'm a yellow belt in karate. <laughs> now watch this, watch this, watch this. If you double dip, what you would experience is an objective shame because you knew you broke the rules. So when I look at him like, he felt the guilt, he apologizes. What he's going to experience nine times out of ten and what I'm going to give to him is not an objective shame. It's going to be a subjective shame because, watch this, to speak against double dipping is to speak against who he is because this is what his, him and his family has done all their lives. It was okay to get two, three, four, five dips. It, it don't matter. Just don't put your fingers in there. So go ahead, get, get that second dip. Bro, what's, what's wrong with you, man? What you doing? Bro, bro, that ain't how we roll, man. Now watch this. This is a potential business partner, and I'm about to lose. Oh, God, this is so good. I'm about to lose the relationship because I am shaming him about rules he never agreed to follow. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about both sides of this, this coin, but this is why the church sometimes tend to lose when, it, when we go out to witness and minister because we wind up shaming people about sins that they never said that they were going to follow your ways. So we don't shame. This is what we do. Somebody shout, we preach the gospel. Everybody shout, we preach the gospel. The gospel, watch this, is not about just the sins that you're doing, but the gospel is about what Jesus has done about the sins that you have committed. Now, now watch this, watch this, because in Christendom, especially in most churches, we have defined preaching and teaching based on style. When preaching and teaching is solely based on content. If I am talking about the good news of what Jesus did on the cross, it is preaching. If I am, if I am giving you principles of how to live a Christian life, I'm not preaching, I am teaching. Come on, somebody. So most people will say, I am a teacher. But I'm not just a teacher. I am a preacher as well because I teach more than just principles of how to live a life to please God. I also preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? So approaching him, I shouldn't be teaching him. I should be trying to win him. And shaming him about who he is is not the most effective tactic, objective shame. Now watch this. I want to help because not only do we do this on the world, but the world also does this on us. And to be honest with you, the world is more effective at it. Because when we shame the world, you know what they say? Oh, you're judging me. And so we just shut up and stop judging them. But when they shame us, we cower back on our commitment to Christ. I want to help. Thank you. Thank you, brothers.
So this is why Jesus had to say this. Jesus had to say this because he knew he knew not only not only do sometimes we tend to shame other people like the Pharisees tried to shame this woman. But the world tries to. Sh OK, OK. Anybody anybody ever been picked on for coming to church too much? You're going to church again. Again. Didn't you just go last Sunday? Anybody ever been picked on for giving any type of money to the church? They're going to take all your money, girl. Don't be no fool. Don't be no fool. I'm telling you, the world will try to use shame to swindle you out of your commitment to Christ. That's why he says in Mark 8, 38, he says, if anyone is ashamed, because he knew there is a possibility that the world will try to shame you because of your commitment. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful, this is interesting because he says, adulterous simply means uncommitted. It, it simply means mixed. He's not even just talking about people that don't love him, people that are not uh, uh, for him, but he's talking about people with a mixed commitment will try to bring you down to their level of commitment. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man, this is powerful, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his, again, this is another loaded, packed uh, statement. I'm not going to unpack all of it, and, and, and I can't give you the complete implication of exactly what he was trying to say, but I do know it's not good if he says, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So, these are the reasons, and he's going to list them in verse number 34, 35, and 36, why there is a tendency for you to be a follower of Jesus and be shamed sometimes. Verse number 34, he says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He says, You're going to be shamed because you're going to deny yourself. What do you mean deny yourself? There are going to be things that your flesh wants to do that the world says, okay, but you're going to stop yourself from doing it. And there are people that's going to look at you and say, well, ain't nothing wrong with that. Why you want to do that? You ain't hurt nobody. Come on, somebody. Watch this. Watch this. Just follow your heart. Well, if my heart is against the word of God, then my heart is wicked and corrupt, and it needs to be subjected to the word of God. Can you say amen? So people will shame you because there will be certain things that you won't do. It ain't even about if it's right or wrong. It doesn't give God glory in my life. You will be denied. You will be shamed for denying yourself. You'll be shamed for taking up your cross. What does it mean? Your cross is what you are called to do. Well, you abide in, your, in what God has called you to do because the cross is what Jesus was called to do. He said early on in the text, he said, I came to die. I didn't come to live a plush, comfortable life. No, my, my destiny is the cross. And if I don't go to the cross, I miss my complete purpose. So whatever it is that you are called to do, God, when you take up your responsibility and do it wholeheartedly, People are going to shame you. They're going to talk about you. I'll never forget, uh, during, during Katrina, uh, God put in my heart. God put in my heart. And it, before Katrina ever happened, I just thought, I just thought load, uh, buying equipment, amplifiers and, and speakers and all this other kind of stuff. Didn't know exactly what I was going to do. But Katrina hit, and guess what? People were hungry for the gospel. So I had my little forward focus. I put one of them little splitters on there where you can plug in power in, into your battery. And I went out on the street, hooked my batteries up, hooked, hooked my speakers up, and just started preaching on the corners everywhere. Preaching. I'm talking about all the calls on the corner, y'all. I remember.
remember one day I came back to this, this particular site. We was at Good Deeds, and, and somebody came to me, and they said, Greg, you ain't going to believe, man. There was some guys over there laughing at you because you were preaching. And I said, I wish you would have told me then because I would have I I really uh, tuned up. <laughs> People will try to shame you for operating in your, in your calling. And then finally, simply following Jesus. Following Jesus. Because this is the thing about following Jesus. He tells you to go, but he don't always tell you the destination. He says, Abraham, go to a place I'm going to show you. Where we going? I'm going to show you when you get there. <laughs> when he got to Canaan, he said, now look to the north, south, east, and the west. This land that you're at right now, this is the land I'm going to give you. Prior to that, he's just, he's just moving. Israel, he called them out of Egypt, and they just followed a pillar, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, not knowing where they're going, just following Jesus. And sometimes following Jesus don't make sense because sometimes, again, he'll speak to you, give you instructions, not give you the complete details. Sometimes he'll say, when the light turns green, just go. Well, where's the destination? Isn't the light in front of me up here? Yeah, but when you get to that light, it's going to turn green as well. But the people around you can't see all the lights turning green when you approach them. So they say, sit there and do nothing. Following Jesus, sometimes people will shame you. He goes on in verse number 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So when it comes to, watch this, salvation in the Greek, the word is deliverance. But the context, the context of what he's talking about um, is shame. So when he says save your life, Delivering yourself from public from the opinions of people. There's sometimes you will not do something because you know people are going to talk about it. Sometimes you won't say nothing because you're worried about what people are going to say. So he says when you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, what do you mean lose it? If you give up the right to try to control what other people think about you. Some of you right now, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, free yourself today. They gonna talk about you, me. They sure is. They gonna talk whether you obey God or not. Are you serious? They gonna talk whether you obey God or not. In pretty much every predominantly African American community across the nation, there is at least one street with the name Martin Luther King Jr. Now watch this. When he was alive, half the world hated him. And they sure weren't trying to celebrate him. So if he was waiting for streets to be named after him before he fully obeyed God, there wouldn't be any streets named after him today. And if you are waiting on the public opinion of all of your friends before you actually step out and do what it is that God has called you to do, let me move. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So this is why he says, if anyone is ashamed of me, if you're ashamed of me, if you're ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous, sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you. That's why the Apostle Paul, look at what Paul says. We looked at this last week, uh, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel. 
Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. That's Paul's testimony, but I want to look at Jesus' testimony because Jesus is the one that's telling me not to be ashamed. And so I want to look at the text and see how is it that Jesus dealt with shame. Hebrews 12 and 1, coming to a close, the Bible declares, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. See, understand, what you're trying to do for God, somebody already has a t-shirt. Been that, done that, got the t-shirt. So he, when he says that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the men and women of faith that, they, that he talked about in the, in the previous chapter. People that had the same temptation, some of the same struggles that some of you guys have. He says, seeing the, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run, run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. If you're going to run, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch this, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising what, y'all? Most of the pictures that you see of Jesus hanging on the cross is not an accurate picture because in all actuality, he was naked on the cross. He had no little cloth on him. He was, he was naked. It was a shameful event for a public crucifixion. So he is on a cross, watch this, shamed subjectively, by the world, but the Bible declares he looked at shame and he he refused to take it on. You got to be careful because there are times when God will speak to you. There are times when God will be dealing with your heart and people around you will shame you and be like, are you trying to do what? He despised the shame. He refused to receive the shame. And this is why, because the Bible declares who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He refused to receive present shame because he saw future joy. Future joy. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Watch this. Watch this. I, I want to. Um, my wife years ago called me out on something. Over, over 20 years ago, called me out on something. So um, I changed her flat tire October 11th. 1998, right? So, side of the road, you know, she saw a little damsel in distress. <laughs> you know, chivalry still lives, you know. Changed a little tire, a little flat tire. And so she was like, I'm going to cook dinner for you. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I wasn't, I wasn't dating, I wasn't seeing nobody. I was really consecrating myself because I was preparing myself for my trial sermon. Um, which was like the next week, okay? October the 18th, okay? So change the tire October 11th. October the 18th, I'm, I'm um, uh, about to preach my uh, trial sermon, and the devil sent somebody to try to cook me dinner. <laughs> That's the way I saw it. So after that, um, after the trial sermon, you know, I saw her again. She was like, I'm, I'm going to cook you dinner. So I went to one of my buddies. I said, man, this girl, this girl's stalking me, man. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Every time she see me, she's like, I'm going to cook you dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, friend, uh, Daryl Patrick, my buddy Daryl Patrick, Daryl said, man, it's just dinner. Go eat and go home. So I went and I ate and uh, she cooked uh, pot roast, um, broccoli casserole, 
and uh, Strawberry Delight with a roll, praise the Lord. And she just put something in it. It's like a toenail or something in that Strawberry <laughs> Delight. <laughs> now, at this particular time, it was at least a year, possibly a year and a half. I hadn't dated anybody because I just, I just stopped. I, I was focused on my ministry, my calling, my relationship with God. So, um, but it's crazy because I, I'm starting to feel something for this girl. I ain't, I just hadn't, it's not like it hadn't just been a long time. I just never felt any a way. I hadn't felt like this for a woman before. So I remember, and this was, this was what was really crazy. Um, a couple of weeks later, uh, she was at a sorority meeting and uh, she said she was coming to, uh, to see me. Um, and I was at, in my dorm and she said she was gonna be there at seven o'clock. So, uh, you know, I'm fresh, boy. I'm clean, boy. <laughs> Jabot up. <laughs> do they even sell Jabots anymore? anymore? Any, do they? Anyway, so um, uh, 7 o'clock, and she ain't there. So 7.05, she ain't there. So I called her. Went to voicemail. I picked up my Nokia phone. Y'all remember that, right? <laughs> I called her. 7.30? It's 8 o'clock, and I don't call her like 10 times. And so it's 8, 8.15, and I'm mad. And I'm trying to trick, figure out, play why you mad. <laughs> I mean, she don't come. She just don't come. You know what I'm <laughs> Why you mad? So she show up, man. I'm like, man, what's what's up? And I'm trying to, feel, I'm trying to calm down. Like, you have, we're not girlfriend and boyfriend. We don't have no kind of relation like that. She just, I just changed the little flat tire. She cooked a little dinner for me. But man, this is pot rolls. I know. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on, man. So, so, you know, after that, uh, I guess sometime in November, late November, early December, we actually, we didn't really make it official, but we just started spending more time together. So. This one time, I took her down to the coast. Now, now here's the deal. Um, <laughs> nobody knows that I'm, I'm like seeing her because we hadn't made it official and I'm not ready to go public with it yet. I'm just not, I'm not. So, and I'll tell you why later. So, so we was on the coast and um, I mean, it was just, we was, we was in the mall. You remember that, we was in the mall and I'm just feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. So I reach over and grab that hand. And you know, it's just something when your girl walk right behind you, like right there, like. <laughs> just something about that, you know what I'm saying? So we just walking and just holding hands, just feeling good, you know what I'm saying? So a um, couple of days later, we at another mall, but we in Hattiesburg. And so we walking. And she tried to grab my hand. <laughs> oh my goodness! She tried to, because I understand. I understand. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actively involved in my church. And at this time, she had just got saved, and um, she used to have this tag on her her car. What did, what did it say? Sexy red. Sexy red. You know what I'm saying? Watch this. I knew Irene, but all my friends knew Sexy Red. They're like, gee, you a sexy. Monica, you with sexy red? Monica, why you with sexy red? 
So I ain't told none of my friends that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of seeing sexy red. Praise, that girl's still sexy and red. <laughs> so, you know, she, you know, she reached for my hand. You know, I just, I just kind of, you know, just, just stuck them in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so she ain't say nothing. And that's what scared me about you sisters when you're quiet. I can deal with a fussing sister. You child, y'all child, I can't even but when you just get quiet, that's when you start killing folks. You know what I'm saying? That's when high grits in. You know what I'm saying? So, so she get to the house, and you know she ain't saying that. We, you know, I, I took her home, and she's like, "I just want you to know, <laughs> I saw what you did." <laughs> and I'm like, "What you talking about?" So you can hold my hand when we in Gulfport, but we in Hattiesburg. Oh, you can't hold my little hand. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thinking like dog she got me <laughs> so here's the deal I was at a crossroad in my relationship with this young lady <sighs> are you going to make this public or is this relationship just going to be this little secret thing that you just visit every once in a while why can't everybody know why are you ashamed again? Let me help. Let me let me help you. Let me. This is how I got rid of the shame. Because I started thinking, like Paul and like the writer of the if Hebrews, this is the first time I actually saw a girl as a potential wife. This wasn't just some chick. She was fine, but she just wasn't fine. She was polite, but she just wasn't nice. When I looked at her, I saw future. So you mean it, what you ashamed of again? I don't care what everybody else say. I care what everybody else say. <laughs> Girl, you're gonna be my wife up in her. But this is what this is what I believe God told me to tell you. It's time for you to go public with your faith. Some of you on your job, people know you're a good person. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, there are just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed, waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted your life in any way and you'd love to help us to continue to impact the lives of others, go to our website, empowerthecity.org, and select Give Now. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time.